Welcome to another edition of Running the Race with Rob King. I'm so glad that you're with us today as we continue our journey through the book of Revelation. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29 today. I encourage you, if you haven't heard the previous podcast from Revelation, that you go ahead and get caught up. Pretty easy to do. Um, But we'll be in chapter 2 today as we continue through what the Lord Jesus is saying to each individual church, just by way of reminder. The Lord Jesus here is going to talk to seven churches. Each of the churches are on this postal route of the Roman road. He gives them really an order of how they would be delivered, but, I mean, how they would be actually, you know, delivered to the churches. But we also see that the Lord is speaking to churches in really, in kind of, they're getting worse. Starts off with Ephesus, they're just going worse and worse into debauchery. Um, debauchery, strong word. Maybe a better way to say that. If it's He's speaking to the churches in order of how far they're getting away from the truth. It's getting worse as it's going along. Today he's addressing the church at Thyatira. Now, I need to give fair warning. That our, our Master, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus, is going to say things to the church at Thyatira that may challenge your theology, may challenge your concept even of God. What Jesus says to the church at Thyatira will especially challenge your concept of God. Is I want to say especially if you've been introduced to a relationship with God through a seeker-sensitive church, for example— I think the seeker-sensitive church across the globe, non-denominational churches, word of faith churches, charismatic churches, many other denominations that have have kind of sunk into this seeker-sensitive mode, never talk about the judgment of God, sin, the need for repentance, and it's it seems like they're always making some kind of an apology for who God is. Of course, the main problem with all of that teaching is that it doesn't line up with Jesus Christ, who he actually is. Jesus talked a lot about hell. He talked about judgment. And he's going to talk about it again today. As a matter of fact, he's going to talk about judgment in a way that I think will challenge us. So before I get into this, let me remind you that God is God. He does what he wants. He's the creator of the universe. He answers to no one. He's completely, 100%, apart from you, separate from you. He is his own God. We are humans. We are dust. We came from the earth. We'll return to the earth. Our life is like a fleeting flower in the field. It rises up in a season, and then it dies in the next. God is the one who makes solar systems. We're the ones who make sandwiches. There's a difference Are we clear on the difference between the two? He is God. He does what he wants. And most people judge him. Most people who don't believe in God judge God to be wrong. So be careful not to judge what God can do or who God is based on who you are and what you can do. This is one of the most beneficial things about Scripture reading it and studying it, is that we get to look at it and read it for what it is and see God for who He really is, and we let that sink in. And uh, sometimes it really bothers us. Just for one example, did you know that everything has been made for God's glory? 
We've been created for his glory. He has glory. He won't share that with anyone else. He's always worthy of glory. He's worthy of glory when things go right. He's worthy of glory when things go wrong. He's worthy of glory when he blesses us with grace and mercy. And he's worthy of glory when he deals judgment and wrath upon deserving sinners. He's always worthy of glory. That's just one aspect. Let's get into Revelation chapter 2 with that little setup and that little warning. We're going to be going through verses 18 through 29. Uh, Let me start by reading a portion, and then we may go just a little portion at a time as we go through it verse by verse. So starting in verse 18, Jesus says to uh, John the Revelator, and he says this, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds and your love and your faith and your service and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than the first. Okay, so this is how Jesus starts off. He refers to himself as the Son of God. This is the only time in Revelation that he says this. This is stressing the deity of Jesus Christ. There is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is part of the deity. He is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is part of the Trinity. When he says he's the Son of Man, in other portions, he's stressing that he's a suffering servant. But when the Scripture says that he's the Son of God, it stresses his ability to reign and rule in all authority, to bring judgment. And judgment will be a key in this passage to Thyatira. He goes on to say that he has uh, eyes like a flame of fire, which means he has penetrating, you know, vision. He sees everything in his church. We see that John will refer back to what we read earlier in the book of Revelation. The, 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 the revelation of Jesus, he refers, Jesus actually refers back to who he is. So he says he has flames, eyes of fire, eyes that see everything. Then it talks about he has feet like burnished bronze. And of course, every time there's a reference to the feet of him, it pictures one who is on a throne in judgment. He's reigning. He's sovereign. He's supreme over his subjects. So if you imagine coming into his kingdom and then there's a throne and he who is seated on the throne, we are not at eye level. We're at feet level. We are under his feet. He is over us. He sits in judgment over his church, and judgment always begins with the household of God. So this is the picture that he's painting. He's got penetrating eyes. He sees it all, and the church is subject to him. There is one head of the church, and that is Jesus Christ. He has under shepherds, pastors and elders, teachers, but he he is the pastor of his church. He's the leader of his church. So now... He's writing to the church in Thyatira. Thyatira, it's not like all of the other cities that have so many gods, so many cathedrals dedicated to gods, but they had guilds. What we would be today, uh, a comparison would be like unions. Picture a place like Pittsburgh or Detroit. If you're not a part of the labor union, if you're not a part of the automakers union, then you're on the outside looking in. So I say this because the pressure towards Christians in Thyatira would have been one of economic pressure, because each of these guilds had a deity attached to it that needed to be honored. Of course, Christians not only 
did they not worship other gods, but they also were they just weren't in the idol worship business, right? So this would increase alienation in the culture. And in a culture, as we've said before, where idols are rampant and even the production of the trinkets associated with idol worship, uh, that would have affected the economy. As more people came to Christ, as more people got saved, there was less need for idols. There was less need for—it's no doubt that Alexander the coppersmith was, was angry with Paul and did him much harm, because business was, was impacted. If you want to see somebody go crazy, start to impact their, their family or their money. So Christians were under pressure, and it was caused by really economic pressure because they wouldn't worship the gods of the guilds that everybody else in Thyatira was worshiping. So Jesus begins by commending them and saying, I know your deeds about your service, your perseverance, your faith, your love. They're growing greater and greater than at the first. So he begins by saying that there are some in the church who are persevering in serving, staying true to the faith, and he commends them. But then he goes on to say, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they may commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent. She doesn't want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence and all the church will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Okay, so the, the problem, now we're going to get into the problem of the church of, uh, of Thyatira. Thyatira. <laughs> it wasn't so much external persecution, but the problem was inside the church. The problem was that they, the leaders were allowing a false teacher to teach false things that they would lead people into impure behavior. So the purity of the church is at stake. Now let's get into a little bit of the details of the sin that was going on in Thyatira. Evidently, they had allowed a woman to teach and preach, which first of all is strictly prohibited according to the New Testament for a woman to be in authority over man, to preach and teach men from, from the pulpit, especially in Paul's teaching, very clear on this. So that's the first thing they did. And then because of the, I mean, this was really just because of the divine order uh, that God has given women and men, and, and women were not to be leading and teaching and preaching to men in the church. So the church of Thyatira went against what God wanted in that regard, but also beyond that, the woman teacher was a false prophetess. So she was teaching wrong things, things that were not doctrinally sound, and they were tolerating it. The reference to her as Jezebel, this is interesting, it would have been the Lord Jesus' way of pointing out that this is the same issue um, that was in the Old Testament story of Jezebel, right? So there was a history in the Old Testament where Ahab married Jezebel, Jezebel led him astray, and then she suffered a violent, terrible death that we may get into in a minute of, of judgment. You need to read through that story to realize that Jesus Christ— your Lord and Savior used that name. It wasn't her, it wasn't the name of the woman in Thyatira. It was the same spirit. It was this 
you allowed this Jezebel to preach and teach over these men, and you allowed her to teach and preach false doctrine. So the the New Testament leaders and the New Testament church would have understood church discipline from Matthew chapter 18. Jesus Christ wants a pure church, so he sets out in Matthew chapter 18 how we're to institute church discipline in order to prevent false teaching and in order in order to hold Christians accountable to holy living so that we don't allow uh, people to live in flagrant sin in the church. This is what Paul was dealing with, for example, in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, in, in that church, they prided themselves in Corinth of, of amazing grace, probably, I guess. It was uh, just liberty that was mistaken, like grace allows you to sin, and they were taking pride in that fact. And Paul was saying, no, we need to turn this one over to Satan if they will not repent. We need to confront this. We need to confront this sin, and it sin should not be allowed in the church. And that's what's written in Matthew 18, especially verses 15 through 17. It's how the church should handle disciplining Christians who are living in sin. This idea that we can come to church, not be known, not be seen, not be members, not be anything, and then never be held accountable for anything, but it's just, that's, that's not the church, folks. That's a concert. That, that may be a weekend event, but if you can come in unknown, unseen, and, and that nobody, and not just you, maybe, maybe you're visiting a place and you're deciding whether you're going to go to church there, but at some point, there needs to be membership. There needs to be a signing on, submitting to leadership, a, an agreement among brothers and sisters that you can not only pray for me and I'll pray for you, but will lovingly, you will hold me accountable, and there will be this gathering of believers. That was what was intended. And that was not happening here in Thyatira. They were not holding people accountable. The whole reason for church discipline is because Jesus wants a pure and spotless bride. Now I ask you, does his bride, does the church look pure and spotless today? Think about the major churches around the world. Are they pure and spotless? Are they, are they godly or are they worldly? This is true in the New Testament if you only look at Ananias and Sapphira. Think about this. They lied to the elders of the church about how much money they had received from selling their property, and then uh, they were killed. They were struck dead in the middle, really, of the sanctuary. And why was that? It's because God demands holiness and wants holiness in his church. And that's really what he's talking about in the church of Thyatira. It's about purity and holiness. They, so in the New Testament, they literally would have to drag their bodies out of the sanctuary, Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, so it also mentioned that after that time when that happened, it struck fear into the people that were a part of the church. I mean, obviously, you'd have a holy, healthy fear of God. And it also says basically that the, the, the people in that area were a little bit reluctant to join the church or slow to join the church. The idea was that they had seen the seriousness of being a part of the body of Christ. And so they, they thought about being a part of the body of Christ because they, they saw the purity, they saw the holiness, and there was a healthy and holy fear of Almighty God. 
But the church in Thyatira, however, was tolerating this woman Jezebel, tolerating her teaching, actually following her teaching. Now, most likely her teaching was this pre-Gnostic sort of false teaching, simply states that there's a, there's a difference between the spirit and the body, which allows you to fornicate or go as far as you want in the desires of the flesh, and it won't affect your spirit. Basically, the teaching allows you to participate in all kinds of immorality and claim that it has nothing to do with your spiritual life. Jesus said that uh, she teaches and leads my, my, leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. So evidently she was teaching things that would have given them false liberty, false licentious license, if you will. Hey, God's going to forgive us. Uh, his grace is free. Um, you won't be condemned. So do what you want. Now, it's true that people who are really born again, true Christians, can fall into sexual immorality. But to lead other Christians into a false doctrine that teaches that there is no such thing as immorality is a grave sin. It will incur, I wanted to say incur, the wrath of God. I'm reminded of what's said in Matthew chapter 18, whoever causes one of these little ones to who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Matter of fact, we see the same kind of judgment that came on Jezebel in 2 Kings chapter 9. It says, So they threw her down, and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. When he came in, he ate and drank, and he said, See now that this cursed woman, see to this cursed woman, and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. And they went to bury her, but they found nothing more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. And they returned and told him, and he said, This is because of what was said by Elijah the Tishbite, saying, The, the property of Jezreel, the dog shall eat and the flesh of Jezebel and the corpse of Jezebel will be as dung on the face of the field in the property of Jezreel. So they cannot say, this is Jezebel. So this is part of the message of the church. This is a part of the message to the church at Thyatira, that I warned you about and get ready for this, of what Jesus is saying. He's going to deal with this false prophetess. This is part of what is being said to the church at Thyatira. So, first of all, he gave her a chance to repent, which is what the Lord always does. He's so patient. He's so kind. He's so loving. As a matter of fact, that's what he's doing right now. He's waiting and being patient and loving so that more sinners will come to him. But he said she didn't want to repent of her immorality. So I threw her on a bed of sickness, which is basically saying it's a bed of death. We know that the wages of sin is death, and so that all those who don't repent will experience exactly what Jesus is saying. But this is the part that gets, oh, it's, it's just the judgment of the Lord, and it is a just judgment of the Lord. He said, but all of those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation. 
In other words, there are some true Christians who are following this false prophetess, and they won't experience death, obviously, because they're saved, but they will experience tribulation or distress. It's distress or troubling. This isn't talking about the tribulation at the end of the age, but it may be talking about even a physical death, even though it wouldn't be a spiritual death, again, because they are saved. But Jesus is saying he will punish them throw them into tribulation. They might even die unless they repent of their deeds. And then he said he will kill her children with pestilence. He's not talking about Jezebel's natural children, but rather the spiritual children who are following this false teaching. Now brace yourself because Jesus actually says that he will kill them with pestilence. In other words, he will kill them with death. This is your Lord, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ who is saying that unless they repent, they will die. Does the Jesus that you serve have the right to judge sinners? Does the Jesus that you serve have the right to reign and be sovereign and supreme? And does he have the right to have a sword that comes out of his mouth? And does he have the right to kill with pestilence those who do not repent? When Jesus comes back again, he comes with judgment and he comes with death. That is the truth, judgment and death. First time, suffering servant, not so the second time. Then he states why he's doing all of this, that all the churches would know that he is who he says he is, that he is he who searches the minds and hearts. That is God. He wants them to know who God is, and this is why he judges the impure. This is the same reason that Ananias and Sapphira were were killed, so that the church, the entire church, would know who God is. He wants a holy church. He demands a holy church. It's his church. He demands repentance. He deserves for us to repent. And if we do not repent, we will suffer the consequences. And all of those false teachers, all those churches, that allow women to preach or women to teach, will be judged by Jesus who sees everything in his church. That's what he's saying here. Jesus goes on to say, But I say to the rest of you who are in Thyatira, who don't hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, so the Lord sums up what he's saying. He speaks to those who are obviously still clinging to what is good. They're not holding to these satanic teachings from this false prophetess. He's saying the same thing in all the letters. He's, He's calling them overcomers, and then he's giving them promises. He's referring really to the new millennium, those who overcome, those who trust in Christ for salvation. You're going to participate in the millennial kingdom. Whoever threatens Christ or his people during that millennial kingdom, is going to, they're going to be destroyed. But those of us who follow Christ, he's going to give us authority. 
we're also going to have the morning star, which is Jesus Christ himself. And that is the ultimate reward always spoken of, that we get to have Christ himself. And then he states to all of the churches, to him who has an ear, this is what he says to all of them, to him who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Remember, this simply means you need to listen up. You need to hear this. When Jesus says to him who has an ear, he's saying, listen up. So what do we learn from the church of Thyatira? From what Jesus said to them? We learn that practicing and tolerating sin is something God takes very seriously in the church, and he will judge. We also learn that when you're a true Christian, it will be seen in your life through your obedience. They will be known by their fruit. The other thing that we see is that even through all of the difficulties of life, when we cling to Christ, we're going to overcome with Him. We're going to reign with Him. We're going to be with Him in His millennial kingdom. Father, would you protect us from false teachers and false teaching? Would you keep us in your word, close to your word, completely depending on your grace for our life and everything in it through Christ? Father, I pray for those who are listening right now who are not a part of a good, healthy church, but may be stuck in a seeker-sensitive church that allows false teaching or false teachers or worldly teaching or many other things. Father, I just pray that you would help them as your children to come out of those places that call themselves churches, place them in real churches, Father, that teach your word, that teach your truth. God, may we be the kind of followers of yours that repent quickly, that don't tolerate sin in our own lives. Lord, may we walk in obedience as true true Christians, Father. And may it be evident in our life, Father, that we are followers of yours. Father, help us to continually look forward to the day when we will reign with you, see you face to face, and be with you and be like you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.